Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything that you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that's going to effortless unite your in-person and online sales into just one source of truth. You're going to be able to track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. You could connect with customers inline and online. And Shopify, it's going to help you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns. So we're talking about TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or you can use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for battle tested solutions. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. I say do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash headspace. That's all lowercase. So you're going to go to shopify.com slash headspace to take your retail business to the next level today. I'm going to say it one more time. Shopify.com slash headspace. Hey there, folks, it's Robin, and I'm popping in to talk to you about clean water because I'm going to be honest, I've been worrying about the contaminants in our tap water, and I knew I had to find a solution, you know, something reliable and effective. And that's when I discovered AquaTrue, and it's been a game changer for my family. AquaTrue's purifiers, they're basically like superheroes for your water, using a four-stage reverse osmosis process to tackle even the toughest contaminants. With PFAS, you know, those pesky forever chemicals making their way into nearly half of U.S. tap water, it is a relief to know that AquaTrue is certified to just kick them to the curb. Plus, their range of purifiers fits every home, from countertop setups to under-sink options. They've even got a Wi-Fi-connected model for the tech-savvy among us. And let's talk about those filters, okay? Long-lasting and affordable, they are a dream come true. There's no more like swapping them out every few months. AquaTrue's filters go the distance and last up to two years. Since switching to AquaTrue, I have noticed a huge difference. The water tastes cleaner, it's fresher, and the best part, I no longer have to worry about what's lurking in my tap water. Even my kids are drinking more water because of the ease of the countertop setup. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, our listeners are going to receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and you're going to enter the code HEADSPACE at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code H-E-A-D-S-P-A-C-E. Go get it. And so reminding yourself of that, that you're going to have the relationship with yourself your whole life and other relationships will come and go and that you are the one that creates the narrative about who you are. 
Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you can call after a long day. Someone you could lean on for their advice. Someone to listen and help you to see things differently. Welcome to Dear Headspace. Hi, everyone. Here we are together again for another episode of Dear Headspace, a podcast where I sit down with one of our meditation teachers and we answer your questions about all the things. And I and I do mean all the things. I'm Robin Hopkins, and today it's me and it's Sam coming at you. Hi, Robin. So Hi, happy Sam. to see you again. I know, but I did want to say, like, you and I have both had a week. So I found out yesterday that rats are eating the inside of my brand new car to the tune of nearly $1,000, um, which made oh me, God. as you can imagine, very unhappy and also sort of disgusted. And yeah. you also had a car issue. Your car got broken into and your wallet got stolen, for God's sakes. I know. And when these things happen, uh, I don't know about you, but I start sometimes thinking like karmically, no pun intended, but like, what <laughs> did I do? <laughs> I see what you did there, Sam. <laughs> well played. I'm like, did I? <laughs> yeah, no, but I start thinking about like, okay, did I, was I stingy in some way? Is that why money is being taken? Is I start thinking, my mind, I should say my mind starts doing that because yeah. I don't believe it. It's just this thing that happens. Oh, I have the exact same thing. Do you do that too? Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I, like if I like, I'm currently battling either, I don't know, a cold or allergies or something. And I'm certain it's my fault that I just wasn't strong enough. Like that, you know, right. it's always it's always my fault in some way. Isn't that crazy that that's our first instinct to it's, blame it's certainly ourselves. not helpful, Sam. <laughs> it isn't. But I also but would, at the go ahead. Yeah. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just gonna say on the other side of it, when someone, if anyone even suggests, like my husband did this, and I, I knew he was gonna do it, so I didn't get angry. <laughs> but when they suggest that, like, oh well, you shouldn't keep stuff in your car. You oh. know, you're kind of inviting. I can't stand that narrative. I'm like, I know I should not be blamed. I didn't have my wallet in plain sight. It's and a person, a person smashed your window. Like that's not. Yeah. And by the way, if you're listening, no judgment. Just bring it back. She just wants her wallet back. Yeah, please <laughs> just deliver the. The, Could you the imagine Swedish like residency a, card on yeah. my doorstep? <laughs> imagine like a robber though, who like in his part time is listening to Headspace, you know, to like try to like not be stressed out about all the robberies. Like there's something kind of amazing about that's a sitcom. Well, it's kind of crazy because I went into like I have this inner detective cop part of me. Like I'm going to find this guy. I'm going <laughs> to. It turned out it was a guy, um, but I found I started seeing all the. Um, transactions he was trying to put through uh, they sh started showing up on my phone so yeah. i started fall i went to the places nearby so i drove to the fedex i drove to um smart and final where he and i had just missed him you know from like for like 10 oh my minutes God. This is, but you so, could have been murdered sam what are you doing that you're chasing around your robber <laughs> i don't care i'm finding this person I that's how i get residency cards <laughs> Meanwhile, my immediate reaction is just like absolute rage. And it's like, I feel like I've done a, a decent job of starting to handle the big things, but injustices for some reason, you know, like right now I'm not being mindful. It's not working. You know, there's this one um, piece of wisdom that comes from um, this book I read called um, The Art of Possibility by Ben Zander. Okay. But one technique that he suggests for like dealing with situations like this is to first greet it with, okay, good. 
right? Like that's how you respond. And then you look for the good in it, right? Like I was able, and you sometimes have to stretch. So. I know, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. Well, rats had a nice warm home in the winter. Right, right. But it's more about like the human interaction for me. Like I, I slowed down yesterday. Mm. I connected with my community. You know, mm. I went to a police station, had a nice conversation. I actually mentioned mindfulness to the the officer and he didn't know what it was. And so we talked about like the benefits of meditation. You're and... like, here's 90 days free of dear headspace. <laughs> For everyone, everyone in the office. But it's, you know, I it, it, just taking that perspective helped me to see what I could do, how I can make the best of it, basically. Yeah, yeah. You're just offering yourself that lens. It might be a stretch. And if it's too, if it's causing you even more strain to think of what's good about it, then let it go. Well, I think you know? if I'm being serious, I think what's good about it is we're fortunate enough that we can have it repaired and we can pay for yeah. it. And it doesn't, there are many people who can't. Yeah. Well, I think it's time. Let's get to our community because our community is the heart of the show. It's the listener questions. And today we have some really diverse and just deep questions that I cannot wait to get to. Um, We are going to be chatting about trust being broken in romantic relationships, friendship breakups, and understanding, and this one I'm, I'm piqued by, understanding when to believe a person who is critical of you. So let's play our first question from Mia. Hi, my name is Mia and I'm from Ireland. I have a question about trust being broken in relationships. I hope this isn't too graphic, but my boyfriend of over a year was lying to me about his porn usage. Our relationship is healthy and the reason he brought up the issue was so that he could stop watching and because he wanted to be more honest with me. However, this is a boundary I set at the start of our relationship and finding out that it had been broken has brought up a lot of trust issues for me and issues with my self-image. I was wondering if you have any advice on staying in an otherwise good relationship when the trust has been broken and how I can gain some self-confidence back. Oh, Mia, thank you for this question. This is this is a really brave question. And I think on the surface, you hear the word porn and you're like, oh, this is this type of question. But it's really not. It, it's not. It sounds like the question is really about trust. And when mm. you state like what you need or want from a partner and then they break it and then what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, I have to mention the porn part because I feel like that's a big issue and one that I think many uh, people in relationships can relate to wondering about, wondering about what boundaries to set or if they should set boundaries at all, you know. And it, um, when I listened to Mia's question, I immediately thought back to a time when I was 19. I had just moved in with my boyfriend and I had assumed, I really didn't know much about porn, though. Granted, it was like 2002, so there wasn't as much porn <laughs> available things, as there is now. Before there's now, it's just a free for all. Yeah, yeah, it's a total free for all, much more normalized than when I was that age. But I remember the moment when I discovered porn on his computer, and I didn't even know I hadn't set boundaries like Mia, right? Like I had, I didn't know what my boundaries were. I didn't know what my limits were. But when I saw it. I felt very similar to what Mia is describing. Like I suddenly felt like I wasn't enough, that mm-hmm. I was, I became insecure. I, my heart started racing. I ran out of the apartment and just like ran for three miles just to outlet some energy that I was feeling, the anger, the sadness, the anxiety. Yeah. It really felt like a betrayal in the relationship. That's interesting. It, it, I saw it in that moment. I had perceived it as like cheating. 
a betrayal. Like, why yeah. am I not enough? Why is my body not enough? Why am I like the intimacy that we have? Why is that not enough? And it was really looking back as a 39 year old, I see that as a rite of passage for me. You know, it was, I didn't know the norms around porn or differences between men and women and usage or how, what they're drawn to. I mean, I just knew nothing. Yeah. Um, and so it was really scary. And, and I did ask my boyfriend not to use it anymore. And, um, and he said he wouldn't. And then a few months later, I found that he had created like a secret file on his <laughs> computer. <laughs> he said, I won't use it where you can see it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that caused another argument. And, and I guess all this to say that where I've landed with it now, like the porn issue specifically, is that I feel like it's a very private matter. Like I think of I think of Rilke, one of my favorite poets, yeah. who I, I used his words in, in my wedding vows. But he talks about marriage and he was a young guy. He was in his 20s. So but his wisdom was profound. And um, he said that we're kind of the guardians of each other's solitude. Ooh, and I, I think of what my husband does. There's certain things he does. If I don't know if he watches porn, I don't ask. But to me, it's like we need each other. We need privacy. And sexuality can be so private, even when you're in a relationship and you have good communication. And there are just certain things, you know, that for me and, you know, you figure out in your own relationship what you what level of privacy you need and around what subjects or topics. But, yeah, so that's kind of where I've landed with that. And um, but this question, Mia's question really brought me right back to that yeah, moment. Yeah. And well, because because the porn thing and that's why I started there is to say that it does have an intimacy to it that can feel like you're in a cheating conversation. But I th but I do think we have to address the other side of it of what she's saying, which is that it was a need that she asked for that yeah. she said, this is a boundary for me. And he said, yes, absolutely, I'm on board. And then he broke that. And I, I do think that that's a, a real thing that needs to be addressed and needs to be to be looked at if you want to continue the relationship. Absolutely. As you were as you were talking, I was thinking of this one emotion that comes into play when we're talking about sexuality, porn, is shame. Yeah, I, I was thinking that too. Yeah, right? Yes. What do we do when we're ashamed? If we're not you know, if we're not very aware and very careful and very mindful. Shame is such a powerful emotion because it causes us to feel not just like our actions were bad, but ourselves, yes. our whole selves are, are diminished to dust in that moment. And of course, that's going to elicit strong defenses, lying, you know, not that that's OK or that we're defending it, but it it's just something that tends to happen when shame comes over us. It's a yeah. very powerful emotion. And so, yeah, I think that it's important to have that conversation and to discuss shame and to, mm -hmm. the more we talk about shame, the better off we are. The more we hide shame, that's where things get, you know, tricky. So, And, and whose who's shame is it? Is is there right. an issue for, for Mia around sexuality and, and, you know, openness? Is there an issue for him where there's like secret behaviors that he's interested in? Like, how do you even get to the trust without finding out the why? Yeah. And it could be, it can be hard to hold space for all of that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm speaking for myself. Like there's certain questions I don't ask my husband because I don't think I'm in the right space to hold space for him to actually share how he feels. Like I just, I'm like, wow, I can, 
I think we talked about this in a previous episode. Like I can listen as your partner. I can listen as a friend. I can listen as a fellow human. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's hard. Some topics are just harder to unpack alone between the two of you. Therapy can be helpful with that, too, just to have someone in the room who's guiding the conversation. Because this is a charged conversation because of all the pieces that we're mentioning. Absolutely. It's so charged. Yeah. And yeah. And I heard Mia say, too, that it's an otherwise really good relationship. She feels good about it. Yes. And that's I'm so glad you said that because I I mean, this is what I would say to myself. And this is what I would say to any one of my very close friends is, is this so important that you want to throw out or say goodbye to everything that it means to you? And I say that without judgment. And if it is, if you were felt so betrayed and your trust was so broken, well, then that may be where you land. But on the flip side of that, even if you say, I want to stay, there may be a lot of work to do, like to rebuild the trust. Yeah, exactly. And figuring out, too, what your non-negotiables are. Yeah. You know, is this something for you that just feels like a solid no? Yeah. And that's okay. That might be your your boundary. Um, But you might discover something else. Like maybe it was a moment of, you know, the immediate assumption, like I shared was this is cheating or this is a betrayal. And then you start to ask yourself, well, what else is true? Or what other ways can I look at this? If you want to. Yeah. It's, there's no pressure to look at it a different way if you don't want to. Uh, but it can be helpful to to help question and look at layers of the situation so that you're not just believing the first reaction that you have yeah. or not yeah. following that first reaction. Yeah. I'm Well, and Mia, I mean, it's a lot, but we're yeah. with you and, and we, we really do hope that you are able to resolve this in a way that, you know, makes you happy. Yeah. Just remember, you're not alone. Yeah. You're certainly not alone. Many, many other couples are <coughs> battling this topic and um, yeah. and negotiating what, what their non-negotiables are and, and figuring that out. And so, yeah, just to remind yourself of that can be really, really helpful as you're continuing on. Okay. So let's move to our next question from Patricia. Hi, Headspace. My name is Patricia. I'm from Queens, New York. My question revolves around a friendship that I've had for about 20 years. She's a very good friend, uh, one of my top support core network friends that we have a deep relationship. However, we have a hard time navigating when we disagree with things or have hurt each other, you know, non-intentionally. And the most recent event that happened was I had a 50th birthday and the long story short is She did not come to the trip that was planned by another friend because I had asked her. So what has happened is she's not talking to me anymore and I feel rejected and I feel hurt and she wants me to just leave her alone, protect myself because I feel like I'm being slightly emotionally abused by not having someone that's going to talk to me because of this. Patricia, that is just that's a that's a very hard situation, but a really good, good question. Yeah, it is. And um, it reminds me of a friendship that ended. I was about to say that I ended, but it, it kind of ended on its own. It just it dissolved. And I, I like to remind myself that not all endings are final endings, right? Mm. That it might be just right now. It's not the right time. We're naturally growing apart. Um, and then maybe later we'll grow toward each other again. But yeah, it reminded me of a friend who every time something difficult happened we had a miscommunication or her attitude was so off like she yeah. was rude and dismissive and 
you know, for no reason. Just, I mean, no reason I could see. Yeah. But, and it would have been fine if she was willing to explain it and be transparent about what was going on or if we could have a conversation, but she wasn't. And I tolerated that dynamic for years until it was too much. I was like, I can't, yeah. this isn't a real relationship. If I, if we can't have difficult conversations and it's impacting me to to this extent where I'm not even happy in her presence or I don't know what to expect, then that's, you know, that's a sure sign that it's time to let it dissolve for the time being. Yeah. I can't even imagine the layers and layers and layers of hurts when you don't discuss them. You know, it's like when you're in a long-term relationship, and I don't care if it's romantic or otherwise, when someone does something to you and it's not cleared away, you just, you're building on top of that. I have like an image in my head of everything that gets built on top takes me closer to the exploding on the thermometer. Yes. Because now I'm mad about this thing, plus this thing, plus this thing, plus this thing. You're in a place of just a recipe for a disaster, 50th birthday party aside. Yeah. I was thinking of her friend and what state she might be in and how we can replay the hurt, right? We have a hurt and then we go, oh, this happened. Okay. And then the emotion is recycled and relived and reignited. And and that's a loop. And that's yeah. why emotions can last so much longer than than their 90 second um, lifespan when we're not reliving the narrative, <laughs> yeah. um, because we do that. We do. Our brains do that. We're just, oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, that was awful. I mean, I sometimes relive stuff, a betrayal from my family that happened like 12 years ago and I can go right back to the emotion oh, yeah. that I felt. Oh, yeah. It's so it's just right there for me. Um and so just noting, I think that can be really helpful to to realize that, you know, this is how our brain works, understanding a bit about the the mechanics mm-hmm. of emotion. And also what I also heard was that they're both feeling similarly. There's there's a betrayal yeah. on both ends. There's this feeling of so badly wanting to be invited, right? And and behind that, if we're using empathy, we see that there's this desire for inclusivity and belonging. Yeah. And so Patricia also wants a sense of belonging and is talking about the pain of of abandonment or the friendship being taken away from her because of this incident and not being able to talk about it. So yeah, just coming to this realization that there there's a connection there in what you're both feeling, even though you wish things were different and you could talk about it. There's, If we turn toward empathy, you can you start to see the shared experience in it. And that can help open the heart a little bit to compassion. Yeah. Not that you have to let go of that part of you that is putting up very important, necessary boundaries for yourself. Um, that can be part of it as well. So the compassion and the boundaries that fierce, the fierce boundaries that to protect yourself can yeah. coexist if that makes sense. I don't know. And you tell me if you disagree with me on this, Sam, but I really believe you have to talk. Like you two have to build up. If if this relationship is to continue a friendship, then there has to be a clearing of the air and a new style of communications. We can't keep hurting each other and then just pretending it didn't happen because this is a recipe for disaster. We're going to lose our friendship. Yeah, I agree. Though I, I have had friends like the one I was mentioning who are just not willing. There's right. just like a an iron wall. They won't, you cannot get past it because it's so scary. Like I know her well enough, this friend to know that it's, she's just so scared. She's, you know, it's like there's floodgates that are 
that she doesn't want to open because it's going to bring up trauma and sadness and yes. tears. And she doesn't know how to hold all that and contain all that. Yeah. Even though I can hold it for her, she's it takes a lot of trust yeah, and bravery and courage and all kinds of things. Which is fair, but that's so sad, though, Sam, though, because it's yeah. like there's so much hurt that gets lost in the friendship if it doesn't happen. And like you said, maybe the friendship will come back. But for now, it's not. And yeah. I 100% concur like or agree with you that like it is it is scary for some people to communicate in that way. It is absolutely frightening. Yeah. And um, and what I was going to say is, too, that it's so helpful sometimes to write a letter. You know, because you can get your thoughts out and communicate what you need to and they can read it in their own time. And they there's no pressure, you know, like with a text, there's pressure to respond right away. But an actual letter, the pressure's off. Right. They can write back. They can email back. They can initiate a in-person conversation that the ball is kind of in their court. Yeah. But you've said what you needed to say. Yeah, that's really that's really wonderful. I can say from past experience of bad um, relationships. Text is not a great way to resolve anything. <laughs> Stay away no. from that format. <laughs> oh my gosh. And some people insist on text. It's too fast. You know? It's too furious. And there's too much room for misinterpretation of emotion and and what was said. Yeah. And I also think sometimes the narrative, what I've been hearing lately around this empowering narrative um, from social media and yeah, mostly social media, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the, the place where all good advice comes from. Yeah, Sam. exactly. All complete, <laughs> complete and, whole and whole and well thought out <laughs> advice from real human beings. Yeah, exactly. But what I've been hearing and I've seen it take a turn that's not helpful is this narrative around empowerment and you should be who you are and don't take any crap from people. And if people disrespect you or your time, then cut them out and I think there's something, of course, to be said about that, but also there's no flexibility yes, in that narrative. Yes, it's very rigid. It's very there's, rigid. It's very rigid. And life doesn't really support rigidity and or any extreme, right? I mean, it's not helpful to be on either extreme of rigidity or, or complete flexibility being a pushover. Um, so finding that middle ground and being really wary and skeptical of the narratives that you hear and and being not don't be quick to take them and run with them because sometimes it's it is an extreme yeah and um i've been seeing that a lot lately yeah no it's relationships take two people and it takes work and they take grow even friendships you know that i find that there's peaks and valleys and closeness and then periods of time where maybe you're not as close but it's still work it's all worth it but it's work yeah and if we accept that we can lean into it and go oh this is a work period yeah right just yeah <laughs> just like we have in our lives oh this is this is a coasting yeah. period yeah. we're coasting expecting that is helpful because then we yeah. know it's coming. It's going to be part of that any meaningful relationship and we can lean in and move toward to resolve and talk instead of moving away and saying, oh, this is a, a crappy relationship. It's not worth my time. Yeah. Well, good luck, Patricia. And and yeah. keep us posted. We hope that you all are able to work through it. But um, if not, you have your practice, you have yourself, and I'm sure you have other amazing love people around you. Yeah. Okay. Let's head now to our question from Molly. Hey, Headspace. This is Molly from Indianapolis. 
My question today has to do with being the narrator of your life. For me lately, one of my favorite affirmations has been, I no longer listen to the false stories that people tell about me. I am my own narrator and create my own story for who I am. And for me, this has been a really empowering affirmation because I feel like for a long time, I've let other people tell me who I am. I've listened to people's stories about myself and kind of embodied it. And it hasn't been until the last few years that I've been working to untell those stories that I realize aren't true about me. And I'm not like that. And yeah, it's been a lot of hard work. And I think through the process, the one thing that I am struggling with is how to tell when somebody is being genuine, like telling that somebody's being genuine about what they're saying about you for your own good versus somebody projecting onto you or someone creating false narratives about you because it's something more about them than about me. And so, yeah, that's kind of my question is how to find the balance between being your own narrator, but also listening to the people close to you when they try to bring up something that is important to them or they want to be seen and heard too. This is a fantastic question, Molly. Thank you. It is. It it, it excites me. I know. <laughs> there's so see it in your much. Face. There's so much to this question. I don't no. even know where to start. Um, where do you start? <laughs> I, I have an instant reaction to this, which is for me, if someone says something to me about me, you know, like I wish you weren't X, Y, and Z, if I get defensive. I know there's something there for me. I know mm. that means there's something for me to, at the minimum, for me to look at and to see, yeah. like, was I misconstrued? Is this real? Is this true? Is there something in here I can look at and do differently? Like, if I'm defensive, it you you hit some nerve, and that's for not for no reason. That's my right. initial hot take. Yes, I I agree for the most part, and and sometimes that that reaction we're having can be based on an old narrative of ourselves or a narrative that our parents or early, any early childhood caretakers planted into us, you know, and that in that sometimes we need to update the narrative of who we are, yeah. who we've become, because we've throughout our lives, we shed a lot of habits and behaviors that that don't serve us. And, yeah. and we haven't updated it in our in our as part of our self narrative. Absolutely. I had an experience like this um, the other day where I was, um, oh, not being organized or not being detail oriented. Someone had called that out. And I felt this immediate defensive reaction like yeah. and sadness that yeah. happened simultaneously. I cried and I felt like the need to defend myself because yeah. they don't know how disorganized I used to be. And how far right. I've come, right? They only see where you are right now. Yeah. And so there's that part of us that knows. We're like, we know we know how we were at 18, 19, 20. <laughs> and I always remind myself of this too, because she was asking about, gen you used the word genuine. And I think when people are giving feedback, it's important to remember that very, very few people actually have any malicious intent when they're giving you feedback, right? They don't want to make you feel bad. They don't want to. I love that. That's your worldview, you. Sam. Mine is. That like, is. Is that, that true? <laughs> really? You think there are people in your life that would want to make you feel bad? There were some people, and I no longer 
they're no longer in my life because yeah. I, I think they genuinely, based on their own feelings or insecurities, enjoyed make trying to make me feel less than. But they, like I said, they're no longer in my life. Yeah. Well, and how did you know that, if you don't mind sharing? Like, how did you know that that, that was the truth of the matter? Well, it's like gaslighting. There are people who go through the world and gaslight other people. And I think that's why I, I was bringing it back to the gut instinct and saying that there's something for me to look at. And the thing for me to look at in this relationship was, is this a person that's bettering me or hurting mm-hmm. me? And then the, the other thing for me to listen to was, why did I believe it? Mm-hmm. Why did I allow myself to stay there? So it's, it, yeah. it's you know, there was something for me to look at. Right. Yeah. And I think any feedback we're given is gives us something to look at, whether yeah. it's, you know, questioning this or questioning ourselves and going, OK, how does this show up? Is there I remember I did this exercise where you ask people that you trust in your life and it's anonymous to pick certain qualities in this square. I don't know if you know about this exercise or what it's called. I've never heard that. (laughs) Yeah. So there are these grids that you send them and they have different words describing characteristics, positive and negative characteristics. And then they choose the ones that they see in you. And again, you only send them to people you trust, but you don't know who responded in what way. It's all anonymous. You just get the feedback of this word was chosen most often by people about you. That's so brave, Sam. That is so brave. Well, it's, you know, we have blind spots. Of course we have blind spots. We're in our own head 24-7. And so the exercise is designed to to help you um, fill in some of those blind spots. Again, you don't have to believe it or you do what you want with the information. But if they are people you trust, then usually you can, I think you can trust that feedback and that at least trust that that's what they're seeing in you and they're not trying to gaslight you or harm you in any way. But I remember one of the characteristics that was chosen for me and I knew it was my aunt. So we actually talked about it. So much for anonymous. (laughs) Yeah. She just told me, she's like, I'll just tell you like, (laughs) Um, but one of the words she used that I'll never forget is fickle. And I didn't know what the word meant at the time. And I did a deep dive on that word after, and I was 25 and I was changing my mind a lot. I was starting something, ending it, going to this country. Oh, I'm going to live here next year. I might live there. But what she didn't see as the root of the fickleness was deep, deep anxiety, right? So I was struggling. Every decision I made might've looked fickle to her, but it was like I had poured over my options for days and weeks and months and gone to therapy and asked, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? But it was showing up in the world as this characteristic. So someone who didn't know that I was struggling, didn't see underneath, could see, oh, this person changes their mind a lot. So that's useful information because no matter how much compassion, empathy, permission I give myself to, to be the way I am, it's important for me to know that in the world where I'm working, interacting, offering things, our our traits or our behaviors will be seen on a surface level Yeah, um, yeah. until they get to know us. I think I would also say to Molly to trust yourself. You know, I think that that's part of the beginning part of her question was that this is something that she's working on is to believe in herself and to grow and to see the growth that she's done. And I, I also think there's a danger in giving one person the power to tell you who you are. Yes. That's actually something I've been reminding myself of in meditation is that I'm the only one to decide 
who I am or how how I am. And so reminding yourself of that, that you're going to have the relationship with yourself your whole life and other relationships will come and go and that you are the one that creates the narrative about who you are. And there's so many beautiful, creative ways to create your own narrative. And it's always shifting. It always, yeah. it's needing updates. Um, it's, I kind of see us as filters, right? If when we're mindful, we develop that capacity for mindfulness and for compassion, then our filter becomes really clear, right? We're able to discern, you know, feelings and thoughts and projections and to then decide what we're going to take and what we're going to discard. Yeah. And that clarity comes with, it does require, I think, some effort and some some cultivation, right? Yeah. By a daily practice or a daily reflection. You know, one of the most helpful and really simple things that I do most nights or before I go to bed is just to make a note of the pings and the delights. You know, what pinged me today? Was it a look? Was it something someone said? Was it a reaction? And what delighted me? What were the moments of of joy, connection, love? And that's a great place to start because then you can kind of decide how much you want to explore the pings and why they might have happened or what the root of them is. And, And then also make note of the things that bring you joy and that add value to your life and meaning to your life and do more of that. So that's a really good way of like, getting in touch with your filter and yeah you know clarifying it yeah well no matter what molly i mean to me it just sounds like she's approaching this in a really mindful way and so it sounds like you're on the path and and i say it a lot but i'm gonna say it again you got this yeah absolutely well sam i have to say that was a journey i loved it it was it was it was these questions just get better and better and i know they're just, they just really, I mean, we could spend hours on each one. And I, what comes to mind as a course that could be really helpful, just given all the different questions we, we took on today, yeah, is starting at the basics, like starting from the very beginning, even if you're a seasoned mindfulness yeah. uh, meditation practitioner, but going back to the basics and learning these techniques that help us to better discern and help us to see our lives and our interactions with more openness and flexibility and compassion, right? It's It really never gets old and it's never yeah. something that we stop working on. So I think that would be a great place to start. Our basics courses are wonderful and they take you gently, delicately up to longer <laughs> periods of time. Lord knows I need the gentle escalation. So thank you for that, Sam. <laughs> Very gentle. Very gentle. <laughs> All right. Um, big, big, big thanks to our callers today, Mia, Patricia, and Molly. And if you would love to tap into the wisdom of our Headspace teachers, all you have to do is submit your question to us. Just go to sayhi.chat slash dearheadspace. And yes, that link is in the show notes. If we use your question on the show, you are going to get three months of Headspace for free. And I think that's a pretty darn good deal if you ask me. You could use it. You could share it with a friend. Just whatever works for you. Yeah, that's right. And then one more thing, as you know, each week we like to leave you with an opportunity to pause and reflect on what you just heard and experienced here. And it's a time to transition from this moment to just whatever you're going to do in the next part of your day. So as you listen to some of these recorded sounds of rain in the city of Cameroon, let your mind do whatever it wants to do. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and be kind to each other.
Dear Headspace is a Headspace Studios original podcast. It's produced by Robin Hopkins, Ash Jones, and Scott Sorensen. It's executive produced by Morgan Selzer, Sarah Cohen, Baron Farmar, and Danny Christamy. It's hosted and produced by Robin Hopkins, Kesanga Giscombe, Dora Kamau, Samantha Snowden, and Eve Lewis Prieto. Sound recording and post-production is by Dan Kroll. Music is by Scott Sorensen and Chris Merguia. And a very special thanks to Colleen Lutz. 